and welcome to Quarter Time Podcast. I'm Lucy G. And I'm Lucy P. And we're here to bring you all the netball goodness you never knew you needed. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 13 of Quarter Time. The second half of the Vitality Netball Super League season is now well underway and after a huge doubleheader weekend at the Copper Box, things are really starting to heat up as we draw ever closer to the business end of the season. So Lucy P, what have we got coming up in today's episode? I am super excited about this one. Of course, we'll be whipping through our three-word summaries of all 10 Super League contests from round 13 and 14 this weekend. And as usual, we'll reveal our games of the round and our players of the round. Given the start of the SSN this weekend as well, we've also picked our key matchup from the opening round to analyse. And finally, as if that all wasn't enough for you, we'll be bringing our chat about leadership with none other than former Diamonds coach, Lisa Alexander. Oh my God, such an exciting one. Great. So let's get cracking with our three word summaries. So first up, we had Storm versus Dragons, and I've gone for Dragons Finally Raw. What an awesome moment it was to see Dragons claim their first win since round 17 in 2019. It was a complete performance from the Welsh side, winning the final quarter 8-15 with their shooters firing at 94%. Mm. Storm, to their credit, they didn't play too badly. Dragons were just better across the Mm. court, combining nicely and looking hungrier and more animated than usual. Mm. Next up, we had Mavericks versus Lightning. And for this one, I said struck by lightning. This was a much closer game than the scoreline suggests, with Mavs only down by two at three-quarter time. And it was a quality performance from both teams. Lightning are without Hannah Joseph following her injury, but Susie Liversidge slotted seamlessly into wing attack, even picking up three deflections and three turnovers. Joe Tripp and Jodie Gibson had an outstanding game, each racking up five and seven turnovers, respectively. Susie had a great one that match. I loved Mm -hmm. it. First game on Saturday was Storm versus Stars, and I've gone for Stars making progress. It was another close game between these two sides, albeit a bit of a sloppy, error-ridden one, with Stars just showing a bit more oomph to get themselves over the line. Storm were pretty unlucky to come away with two losses in games that they definitely would have been targeting to win in their doubleheader weekend. But full credit to Alima Priest for playing an absolute blinder with six interceptions and seven turnovers, but unfortunately it just wasn't enough. Storm have now fallen twice to Stars this season, and after losing to Pulse and Dragons, they're now in a little bit of a slump. Mm. Next up, we had Pulse versus Sirens, and for this one, I said attacking end woes. It was a convincing win for Sirens in the end, as Pulse really struggled to open up their attacking end, going down 6-12 in the first quarter. The second quarter onwards was much closer, but the damage was done. Unfortunately, Ziggy Berger was sidelined with an injury in the second half, but youngster Liv Tsheen came on and replaced her, having a cracking outing, shooting 18 from 19 at 94%. Yeah, man, big Liv fan, loved it. Next up was Mavericks versus Dragons, and I've gone for Hard to Stop. This was a pretty crucial win for Mavericks, having lost four of their last five games prior to this one. As expected, Mavs were firing on all cylinders and swept away with a 20-goal win, the exact Mm. same margin, actually, by which they beat Dragons in round four back in March. 
first up on Sunday, we had sirens versus rhinos. And for this one, I said long feed magic. Wow, this game was such a treat to watch. Up one end, we had these huge long feeds being pelted into Donnell Wallum from the transverse line. And at the <laughs> other end, Neve McCall was putting up more super shots than Tippard won. Sirens really struggled without Vincumbo in the first half and Rhinos consequently were putting up huge numbers on the board. Quarter scores were 17, 19, 20 and 13. They also had just four unforced errors in the entire game and Wallum shot 62 goals at 95%. (laughs) Actually a joke. Outrageous stuff. Following that game was Pulse versus Thunder and I've gone for shoulda, woulda, coulda. There really was a lot to like about this game, actually. And the combination of Liv Sheen and Radaman was giving Thunder a lot to think about in the first half. Unfortunately, Halle Adio went down with a knee injury in the third quarter, which we now know is a torn meniscus. And we wish her all the best for a speedy recovery. It was a dominant display overall from Thunder, but given that the margin last time they played was 27 and Pulse lost two of their seven starting players, I would say that wasn't pretty bad going. Mm, Yeah, agreed. Next up, it was Bath versus Wasps. And for this one, I said, all hail Gusgoth. Leila Gusgoth was the human definition of a get-out-of-jail-free card for Bath in this match, picking up 11 turnovers, six interceptions and five deflections. Bath were pretty lucky to get away with this one as it wasn't their most clinical performance in attack and Wasps were really gunning for the win. The second quarter was 8-8, which is pretty low scoring for these two teams, proving just how intense the defensive pressure was and how hard those attacking units were having to work. First up on Monday, it was Thunder versus Bath and I've gone for Champions on Champions. What a game this was. Oh my God, Thunder got out to a blistering start and were leading by five after the first quarter. But Bath just have this like air of confidence that, that I suppose comes with winning all by one of your games so far this season. And they managed to level the scores at half time. It was neck and neck from there on in pretty much with both teams proving just how much they want to be holding the trophy come the end of the season. Mm, yeah, that was an awesome game. And finally, we had Rhinos versus Wasps. And for this one, all I can say is, bloody hell, Rhinos. (laughs) What a stonking game this was, with Rhinos just lethal in all areas. And I think Tamsin put it really well at the end of the game when she said that Wasps had been out-muscled and out-hustled. Rhinos came out of the blocks like a bat out of hell with all the players firing, but then Wasps were able to claw it back to within one at three-quarter time, but then an 18-9 final quarter, Rhinos managed to snatch the win. Yeah, man, what a great game. Loved it. So, moving on to our game (laughs) of the round. Surprise, surprise, I've just gone for your last summary, Rhinos versus Wasps. To be honest, there were a number of great games in this round, but this particular game was a real standout for me because it was a really tough one to call beforehand. Mm. And I think what it showed is, you know, this game was a testament to who had the nerve and the grit to get themselves a win and to settle into the game first. I think what this game has shown as well is that the predictable sort of top four, top five teams that we've had for a few years is really now being shaken up. Rhinos Mm. are well up there, closely followed this season by Sirens. Every element of the Rhinos team was just formidable. 
Jade Clark in the midcourt was just mental, rock solid. Boy Solar and Keelan in defence were on a mad one. <laughs> Grierson, Dixon and Wallen, just insane. Every person on court really stepped up. And you could see the frustration for Wass at both ends of the court. Huckle really not being able to disrupt Wallen at all and Dunn definitely wanting some more umpire calls in her <laughs> favour. <laughs> but yeah, there really was no weak link on court for Rhinos. And I don't want to take anything away from what Paige Kindred, Shiana Rushton and Emily Hollandworth have achieved. But I, I kind of feel that if Rhinos hadn't have lost almost half of their starting lineup, they would be a top four team for me, for sure. You know, understandably, it took a little bit of time for those three to really hit their stride when they were converted from impact players to starting players. And it's kind of just a case of like, what could have been? But, you know, they're not out of it yet. So we shall see. Hmm. Yeah, it is really tricky, isn't it? But I actually think Emily Hollingworth has been doing a really solid job. And there's others Mm. you mentioned as well. They have all come on and make an impact. And Rhinos have now got a bench of experienced players. So when you're thinking ahead to next season, because I think this season might be slightly too out of their reach just because of the games that they have lost. They don't have a great win-loss ratio because of the situation that they've had. So I think next season, everyone better watch out. Mm-hmm. Who do you gone for, Liz? I have gone for Thunder versus Bath mm. because I just thought this was a total belter of a game. <laughs> that real kind of edge of your seat action, really close score lines. We just love seeing those games where you really don't know who's going to win it, even up to the final few minutes. And just the matchups on court were insane. I mean, Imogen Allison did a number on Caroline O'Hanlon, I thought, in this mm. game. And I think it was really interesting. They said that the only game that Bath have lost was the game where she was injured. Yeah. So she is just absolutely vital for them. And then, of course, you had Kerry Almond on Kim Borgia. That was a contest. Absolutely Spicy. loved that one. And, you know, arguably these are two of the strongest sides in the competition. And I think they're both at full strength, really, at the moment, especially with Emma Dovey back. And she did a standout job in GD as well for Thunder. There was almost this silent battle going on. I don't know if you noticed this between Sophie Drakeford-Lewis and Ellie Cardwell about which GA could be the best defending attacker. I was <laughs> loving it. Both of them had such a good game, getting tips, intercepts all over the place. And it was really clear that Thunder had done their homework since that big 25-goal loss to Bath in round five. Bath were looking a bit frustrated in the first quarter, actually, which is uncharacteristic for them. But as we all expected, they just came alive and the game went into a higher gear from the second quarter onwards. And I mean, I could just not take my eyes off it. It was incredible. I actually thought Amy Carter had a brilliant game against Guthrie in particular, but it was just that strength and determination from the Bath defensive unit that won it in the end. And wow, I mean, if they're not holding the trophy at the end, I don't know, there was going to be something wrong, 100%. Moving on to our players of the round. So, Lucy G, who have you gone for this week? Oh, well, I think we'd be a bit silly if we didn't pick Brie Grierson, one mm. of us. Two player of the match performances. She had an outstanding weekend. I mean, like, take my hat off to her. She was incredible. Her relationship with Rhea Dixon and Danelle Wallen is just 
oh my god it's a thing of beauty she's mm. able to find so much space and the depth that they get in that attacking line between her and Dixon is just dreamy I think actually Lucy you you wrote in our notes I'm sorry but Grison's feed from behind the transverse line should be illegal they're so <laughs> good <laughs> what I love about her the most is that her first instinct is always to look into Wallen or to look into the circle She's demonstrated some really smart decision-making in recent weeks where sometimes she would be guilty of trying to force it in in previous rounds. So you can see that development with her week on week. The, the way that she can just give and go is ridiculous. And I think you said this as well, Liz. She, she gives off like a Verity Charles vibe with those quick, rapid movements and uh, the way they both feed a tall timber, I suppose. But yeah, absolutely outstanding week for her. Well done, Brie. Yeah, she was incredible. I mean, those feeds into Wallum, you just don't think it's going to make it. And then it just absolutely does every time. So Outrageous. yeah, can't wait to see her again next weekend. And I think she's been really matching up well against whichever wing defense she comes up against as well. She just really puts everything out there and is not afraid of a physical contest as well, which I love. Mm, I'd love to see her up against Imogen Allison again, actually. Mm. I think that would be a spicy one. Uh, who have you gone for, Luce? So I've gone for a shooter this week and it is none other than Neve McCall from Sirens. Mm. I really have so many good things to say about Neve McCall. Her cut and drive is so strong and she just has that real nippy goal attack strategy totally sorted. She shot 21 from 26 at 80% against Pulse. But what's actually most impressive is not only the volume that she's shooting for a goal attack, but also the range. She Mm. was firing those shots in. And to compare in terms of her volume, Emma Barry in that game only scored 27. I'm starting to think that she is the answer to sirens who have typically struggled to put more than 40 on the board in a game and not to take anything away from Beth Goodwin, who I think is awesome, but Neve just seems to bring something totally different, which really gets those defenders heads turning. She also then backed up again in the Rhinos game, shooting 22 from 25 at 88%. And her work rate was insane. And she shot almost the same as Emma Barry again in that one, which is just huge for a goal attack. And I think she's really stepped up in recent weeks. And I mean, I can only imagine that Tamsin Greenway is rubbing her hands together (laughs) with glee at the strength and depth developing in that Scottish Thistle side. So yeah, great week from Neve. Yeah, man, she was amazing this week. And I think she's causing defensive ends a lot of problems because they mm. sirens aren't just reliant on bombing it into Emma Barry. So they really yeah. do have to consider her as a viable option. So our talking point this week, of course, is the start of the SSN season 2021. Mm. So we've picked one of the games from the first round to talk about as a sort of key matchup. And we have gone for Firebirds versus Swifts. Mm. Mate, this was such a good game. Mm. According to the stats on the Netball Live app, which are fantastic, by the way, like the the amount of information you get is incredible. Firebirds had 75 (gasps) contact penalties, (sighs) just contact penalties, and then 18 obstructions, making a grand total of 93. Mm. I think like, let's just take a moment for that to sink in. Out of the top five contact penalties for the game, four of them were Firebirds players with Hinchcliffe top of the table, closely followed by Jenna. Those two were quite heavily penalised last year as well. And I was really hoping that 
they would have sort of cleaned it up a bit this season. You know, Jenna had 26 penalties on her own. Mm. So, um, yeah, not great, really. I think you can really tell their inexperience, especially when it comes to the penalty count. But I think they'll get there. There's a lot of growing still to do. Mm. But up at the other end, Sam Wallace and Gretel Boetta both shot at 100%. Amazing. That's crazy, isn't it? Sam, 49 goals and Gretel, 13. Maddie Proud and Nat Haythonthwaite were on a mad one in this game. (laughs) And Maddie had the most assists on court and the second most feeds. And Nat Haythonthwaite had an amazing game. I'm so glad that she got the start because I think she's absolutely brilliant. And she had the second most assists and the most feeds with the Swifts shooting at 95% in regular time and 75% in super shot time, which is much better than the average super shot percentage for 2020. Mm, Yeah, that was Swifts attacking line, particularly in the first quarter, I think. The way they started the game was just phenomenal. The the connection that they have that Wallace Howells behave on weight is just outrageous. Yeah, I'm definitely glad that we both tipped them to be in the top four, especially after that performance. I think that was so good. And I really hope that it was a grand final preview, like everyone's saying. Mm, Yeah, so looking forward to round two coming this weekend. Coming up, we chat to the legendary Lisa Alexander about leading a national side and developing leaders within a netball squad. For our new netball fans or anyone who's been living under a rock for the last (laughs) decade. Lisa was the Aussie Diamonds coach for 102 matches, making her the most capped Diamonds coach ever with an 81% success record. And interestingly, she was also the first Diamonds coach to be appointed who hadn't played in the national team. This is going to be a good one. We are absolutely thrilled to be joined by former Aussie Diamonds head coach, Lisa Alexander. Lisa, how are you doing? Going really well, enjoying um, a little bit more of the normal way of living, I think, now that Mm. we've come through the worst of the COVID lockdowns, etc. Although obviously what's happening in India is of great concern. But yeah, it's... um, It's been an interesting time not being involved with netball for a while. I'm a very interested observer. Mm. And of course, we had the first round of Suncourt Super Netball as well. So I have a sneaking suspicion you enjoyed watching that. Yeah, I did. I loved watching all the new young players out on court and, you know, Ruby Buckmeyer and Hannah Mundy, who's Shelley O'Donnell's Mm. uh, daughter, who I've actually had a little bit to do with Hannah because I was... I've done a little bit of coaching with her and, you know, it's great to see her take those steps out onto the court. And also seeing Kim Revellian back for the Firebirds, back yes. for the old firm, her <laughs> and Gabby Simpson in wing defence and then playing with Gretel as well, the two new mums coming out on the court. It's, yeah, it's terrific. Yeah, that was really, really special. Absolutely loved that. And what a game that was as well. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> it was, look, it was a shame. I really thought Firebirds had it at the end of that game. I did I did sort of in my heart want them to win because Megan Anderson and Claire um, Ferguson, who are both coaching there now, head coach Megan and assistant coach Claire, were with me with the Diamonds. So I've got a special interest in how they're going. So and. I really thought they had it, but fair income, Helen Housby, again. <laughs> I think her 
give her any time under the post. <laughs> and it was funny, you know, I watched Bryony at the end of the game and you could see on her face, she just, you could tell that she was so wrapped that she, you know, Helen had the ball at the right times. And they played so smartly in that extra time. And I think in the press over here, she said they've pre- been practising that a lot. Mm. And look, I, I wouldn't be surprised those two teams end up in a grand final. I think, you know, this... New South Wales Swifts certainly think they underperformed last year and they really want to get out and show what they can do. Yeah, a few people have said that we we think that might be a grand final preview. So we will see. We, we will shall see. see. <laughs> so to kick us off, Lisa, you're obviously one of the biggest names in netball and there's a lot of material out there that discusses your history and your leadership style. But how would you describe your leadership style? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think I'm I think I'm democratic is what I would call myself. And I'm also, I guess, empowering as a leader. As as a school teacher, I'm a trained school teacher. That's my profession. I've always been interested in students learning and for me to create an environment for that learning to be at its optimum. So I've taken a lot of those lessons across to netball as well. So it's been much more of a discussion about how we're going to play rather than I'm telling them how to play. Uh, Although my earlier coaching, I would have done a lot more telling these days and obviously with the Diamonds as well, when, when you've got such highly skilled athletes, it's more about accessing and empowering their own strengths and abilities So, yes, I've become what you would call more empowering and more democratic, although, you know, I will lead when I have to and I've always said that (laughs) I won't be shy in saying things that need to be said if they need to be said. And I guess I'm, I suppose, more on the EQ in terms of emotional intelligence end of, of leadership um, I always have been. I've more. I've always been a people person. Even when I think back to my leadership roles I had at school, I was always. I preferred to do decision making in teams and have consensus around things together. And I would always stand up and deliver the messages. Mm. <laughs> but I preferred to have you know really good leaders and good people around me to help me to make those decisions. So democratic and um, empowering. Mm, I think you really see that actually and you probably see that background in teaching come through when when you're leading and there's a a quote from Joyce Brown who is obviously ex-Diamonds captain and head coach who mentored you in your coaching journey she once said of you and I quote uh, a very good communicator so the right message would get through she always works on the individual person, which is very important at three-quarter time when you have to know how they tick. And I think, you know, you touched on it already, that idea of, of knowing people and empowering them and, and figuring out how they tick is fascinating. So how much time and consideration is spent developing those meaningful interpersonal relationships with the team to sort of get to know them on that level? Um, look, I think it probably wasn't as enough of what I needed to work on, particularly with the group that I had in the later stages. I did attempt to work on it quite a bit, but I think it was more successful in the earlier part of when I was coaching the Diamonds to have 
I already had formed very strong relationships with a number of the athletes that were in that team, Kim Green, Laura Geitz, Julie Corletto, Shani Layton, Beck Bully, because I'd coached them in the Australian 21 and under team. So it's, it's those, I guess, the time that you have with those athletes in another situation or another setting, you get to practice the communication skills that you need, particularly for under pressure situations, the coaching that's required, but also all the off-court communication and how you develop the culture of the team, both on a team basis, but also on an individual, you know, performance psychology basis. So more of those interactions, more practice together means that you've got a stronger relationship and you know those athletes far more. So it was very important that I spent a lot of time going around the country, you know, going into the different franchises and clubs to get to know people better. And I did spend time at junior national camps as well as much as I could. But nothing replaces the actual real practice of coaching a team at a junior level and taking those athletes all the way. I, you know, certainly valued all the experiences I had, particularly when I was coaching Victoria. I had, you know, I took a a group of juniors through from 17s, 19s, all the way to Opens. And just that um, time on task together just gives you that added, you know, advantage of knowing them, knowing those athletes even more. Mm. And you mentioned Sharni Layton. There was a lovely little quote that we found from her where she said, there were a lot of teams where I wasn't allowed to be myself, but because Lisa was so quirky, she encouraged me to be quirky. She really allowed us to be humans and wanted us to explore and experience life. And I think, you know, you mentioned about getting to know players on an individual level and and them sort of bringing that into the team. How important is it for a team to have those diverse life experiences, I suppose, to have that diversity of thought and to bring all of that onto the court? Well, it's the richness of life in general. And I think it adds so much more to a team when you don't have to fit a certain, you know, uniform as such. You you know, I'm not saying we don't value and absolutely adore the gold dress and wearing that. And that very much that whole idea of responsibility and respect for the gold dress and the history and the legacy was a huge part of what I spoke about and discussed a lot with the Australian Diamonds. I didn't want to take any of that for granted. I wanted to ensure that the athletes understood their responsibilities in that regard. But I also didn't want the athletes to be so stereotyped that we didn't get to use the strengths and abilities they had. And that was something that I learned from Joyce Brown when, you know, you mentioned before she talked about my ability to know the individual. And she always said this, she said, you have to know the person first, person first, athlete second. Mm. And I guess, again, it's probably my school teaching background, the fact that I tried to get to know people better to teach them better as well, to be a better teacher. And I applied that to my coaching. I I wanted to get away from um, the top down, you must do this type of coaching to how do we work together to make you better as an individual and then add to your role that you're going to play for the team and understanding your team role, getting to know people 
who are different to yourself is such an important strength within a team. And, you know, it's that yin and yang idea of balance in a team. You've got to have those strengths together to make an even stronger bond and really use the the strength of the team to, you know, push those performances to even higher levels. I, I saw that continuously throughout my coaching career with teams and it's a joy. It's just so, it, it's even better than winning premierships is to see or World Cups, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just a joy to see when people understand if they give to the team as an individual, their performance will lift as well. And mm. when that happens, that's that's probably the most joyous part of coaching. Yeah, definitely. And so speaking of relationships, as a head coach, you are the rock for both those on court and off court, and everyone will look to you for, for guidance and direction. However, for the players, having a leader to steer the ship that's on court, you know, with them and is one of their peers is absolutely essential. So how do you, as a head coach, encourage leadership in others in relation to captaincy? Uh, well, we definitely had a way of doing that with the Diamonds when where I certainly knew that there needed to be some changes in the culture to be a much more um, focused on, I guess, team rather than me. So I always said we before me. Um, And that's when I brought in Ray McLean from Leading Teams. I certainly knew that we needed to get uh, and work on our dynamics as a team and our culture. And part of that was empowering the athletes and to grow the leadership capacity and capability within the team so that we wouldn't have a blame game type of approach when things got tough that we knew we had to pull together as leaders to be better. And that's a very important part of having any representative team, particularly, you know, state teams and national teams. You're usually picking the best of the best and you've got to pull them together and have them understand that they're playing for a higher level purpose than what they've done in the past. So they have to put all their baggage aside. They have to leave their competitiveness with the other teams aside and come together for one goal, which is to represent Australia for us. Again, it's not something you take for granted. It's something you work on. And so as important as centre pass attack strategies were, so was working on our culture dynamics as a team and our communication and discussing how we were going to behave and be and the actions that we would take as a team as much as anything. So we we worked on that very, very much explicitly about the sort of leaders that we wanted in the team. They didn't necessarily have to be the first picked player to be the captain, which is often what traditionally has been chosen. You know, the best player gets chosen. Well, really in the Australian team, any one of the 12 should be able to be chosen as a captain, really. They're the best of the best. And it shouldn't just be the oldest it should be the person that best exemplifies what it is that we want the diamonds to represent and that meant the team. So the team had a great responsibility in choosing the leaders for our team and we had an open player vote for that leadership group where each player would have to, in our squad, 
read out three, two, one, who was the person that most exemplified the sisters in arms trademark and the behaviours that we expected of our players, the high standards we expected both on and off the court, the way those players communicated, how they brought the whole team together, not just on the court, but off the court. So there are all the facets that are important for team performance. And the players would have to explain who they were going to vote for and why they were giving that player those votes, three, two, and one. And that would mean some people wouldn't get voted for that might be a captain in another team. But that was okay because we had a way of doing that where that's feedback for a player as well, that if they haven't been voted for by their teammate in their franchise team, well, those two will have to have a conversation about that. And that's that's where you get people growing and learning by getting feedback that's actually what we call in Australian slang, fair income. It's real. It's feedback that you take on board to get better at what you're doing. So if there's some particular reason that person wasn't going to vote for another person, they would have a discussion and and, and a conversation about it. So that led to our, you know, getting people like Laura Geitz and getting a person like Claire McMiniman at the time who in the past, Claire would never have got captaincy of Australia because she wasn't the best player. But she actually, in many respects, was one of the best captains I've ever worked with. Um, mm. She implicitly understood what it meant to represent your country and the things that she needed to do as captain to ensure that that happened. And she was in a, in a phase of her career where she had her own individual preparation for matches and how she went about her high performance behaviours. She had that all down pat so she could really give to her teammates and be very uh, explicit about what they needed to do, particularly with our younger players. And I remember Liz Watson saying, because it was Liz Watson's first tour to England back in 2016 and she roomed with Claire in that first tour away in England and you couldn't learn from a better person and she actually said that when you know she had her chance to be captain of the Australian team just recently in the Constellation Cup series of how important it is in that mentoring and learning from our leaders to be better leaders ourselves it doesn't mean we have to be exactly the same as them but we learn about the qualities and what they do by watching what they do and watching their actions. And she couldn't have had a better mentor in that case than Claire. You've touched on there your democratic approach. And obviously we know that Stacey Marinkovic elected to do a different thing in the recent Constellation Cup. So what do you think the impact is of those two leadership styles going from one where it's a democratic setup to one where perhaps the power has been taken out of the players' hands a little bit? Oh, yeah, look, it'll be interesting. The the proof will be in the pudding. I think there's enough of player input now, though. I think definitely Stacey is taking notice of what the players will want and she might have a different way of doing the voting of that. It's just that we preferred, when I worked with leading teams, to, for things to be transparent, whereas if you vote on paper, you're never quite sure, and that was always what I got from players when they said, oh, we had a vote, but... I think the coaches might have had more of a say in who got, whereas this system that we had is so transparent that 
you can't argue with it. The players vote for who they want. But I think they're smart enough, you know, Stacey's smart enough and so is the organisation to take on board the feedback from the players these days. I think gone are the days where people just get appointed and given the nod and, and, you know, they do the job. I think it's much more important that players have input into those things. And also, you know, I think the idea that she was trying to get across where all of them are leaders. I really like that idea. I, I believe in that too, and I think that's important. And I know that the Sisters in Arms trademark and the way that the Australian Diamonds went around about their business of high performance but also recognising the history and excellence of the past, all of those things are still in place because you just you can't take that away. That's, that's imprinted in everyone's hearts and minds. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, you've spoken about the the Sisters in Arms trademark and about how the players are sort of working towards a higher level purpose, I suppose. And I think the, the importance of values in sport just cannot be understated because it plays such a huge role within society as a whole. And there's a, a really cool quote from Nelson Mandela on the power of sports. He says, sport has the power to change the world. It has the power to unite people in a way that little else does. It's more powerful than governments in breaking down racial barriers and it laughs in the face of all types of discrimination. So given how political sport can be, how much societal responsibility do clubs or coaches have to really be advocates of their values? Well, I think it's the way that you go about your business, whether you're at a community level or you're coaching your country, you've you've got to have, you know, your behaviours will tell everybody what you value anyway. So mm. uh, that's why I always try to say to particularly when I'm doing coach education is so you are so important in the lives of young people, What what how you're going about mentoring those people not just in the sport but in life will happen whether you like it or not so take the opportunity to examine yourself and your own values and what the way you want to be and this is what I talk to clubs about even at community level what 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 do they value how how inclusive do they want to be if they're going to be inclusive for you know our first nations people are they putting you know, they're doing acknowledgement of countries and welcome to countries in their camps and in their presentation nights. So it's it's how we go about being inclusive in Australia, particularly, but obviously around the world. You've got to you've got to actually act it. You've got to do it. You can't just have words up, up on the board that says we're an inclusive club when you then turn around and act differently and not make people feel welcome into mm. your club. So it's absolutely vital. And I think, you know, I'm an optimist that sport can heal and it can bring communities together. And it is so critically important for social cohesion. That's why we have sport at the end of the day. If you look at the history of sport, um, governments would be very concerned if we didn't have sport and the love of sport because we'd have millions of people twiddling their thumbs. That's why sport was so important over COVID as well. But, you know, as one of our players said, Pat Cummins, well, really it's a very, in a very stressful time, it's actually something that, you know, helps people, helps people's mental health. 
because they've got something else to focus on that they enjoy watching on television, even though, you know, they might be locked up or whatever. Mm. At the end of the day, coaches drive the behaviours at clubs. They're the leaders of clubs. They have to understand they're the leaders, even though there might be a president or someone else that's running the club. Along with those people, they are all the leaders of the club and they are the custodians of the behaviours that go on in that club. They hold people accountable, as do other leaders, and therefore the behaviour in action all the time is what gets reinforced. And if it's not the same as what you say on the wall, that is you're an inclusive club, then you've got a problem there. So, And people aren't going to want to play sport and they will choose not to. And I think you've got to understand, you know, your community and your club to know what it is they want out of it as well. For most people, it's social connection as well as all the other fitness and health parts to it. Yeah, absolutely. You you do sort of get the sense that in times of uh, strife or struggle that it is the things like sport, like arts, like culture, they are the things that bind society together and and sort of give us that greater purpose that's outside of ourselves. You know, like you say, it is all about connections in in life, I suppose. And speaking of, of connections and relationships a little bit more, We were listening to your interview on the Great Coaches podcast, which is fab. I loved it. And you spoke a lot about keeping a distance between yourself as a coach and the players, you know, finding that line and not being too close to the players socially. So you referenced this a couple of times that the the closeness had come back to bite you before. Are you able to share this experience with us and, and talk about how and why that level of distance is so important? It's very clear to me that there still is, and this is a responsibility of the coaches and the leaders of the clubs, that they do need to know, and it's it's like the duty of a teacher as well, knowing your students or your players is extremely important, but not to the point where there's a personal relationship or a social relationship outside of what it is that, you know, whether you're coaching or it's, you know, a professional relationship because it's a protective mechanism for both coach and for the players. I think it's important that that's respected, that line. And I did talk about the fact that it's one of the biggest thing that ex-players have the most trouble with when they start coaching. Mm. And we often refer to it as the friends syndrome. You want to still be friends with people. And, you know, I know that Megan Anderson will be, struggling with that at the moment she's been an assistant coach with me for a while but now um, she has to be sometimes the bad guy or the bad girl when it comes to making decisions about players so you 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 have to understand that you're not going to be liked by everyone and what you want to be is respected by everybody Mm. that's more important as a head coach in that position where you've got a position of responsibility and authority you have to exercise that with great care and duty of care and that's why I'm talking about the line in the sand as an you know when I was a playing coach it was different and I could do the players thing but I think it's really important that head coaches and coaches that don't play really respect and understand that the players do the playing on the court and that's that's their domain um, and that needs to be respected and also acknowledged as well. They're sweating the sweat. They're bleeding the blood out on that court. You're not as a coach. It's it's different. 
Mm. I suppose actually, but that's just made me think of the Vitality Liverpool Super League and the likes of Mickey Austin, who is a player coach. She's you know director of netball. She's the head coach and she's the player, and actually striking that balance of you know being one of the players, but also having to be the player that leads, and then having your captain alongside that. That must be such such a muddle to to work through. Really difficult terrain. Yeah, it is. And I guess um, I was lucky and I had a really good bench coach and uh, organisation around me. So I'm hoping that Mickey has that as well. I think she does. But again, it's it's she still is, if she's making decisions about other players, she still has to be able to have that line in the sand between herself and the players. Mm. Um, because you just can't be seen to be playing favourites. That's, you know, the death knell of a coach at the end of the day in the program. You know, things have to be done as transparently and as fairly as possible in selection. And, you know, people have to have some bad news given to them at different times. And if you're too close or your friends, it just gets really difficult. And so you have to have a bit of a line there in the sand. Yeah, definitely. And I think that team behind the team that supports you, like you say, is absolutely critical. And I know that with the Sisters in Arms trademark, you also had a similar trademark for the staff behind the scenes, which was packed. So professional, approachable, committed team. And it wasn't very, you know, it wasn't, like the sisters in arms thing was so the pact was different because it was a bit more functional i think it wasn't quite as emotional but mm. this, normally trademarks ha, should have an emotional connection so as soon as you think of sisters in arms you think of you're in your you're got your arms around everybody and you're singing the national anthem on the side of the court that's how laura geitz came up with it and she was the one that came up with the sisters in arms trademark Mm. And everyone has an emotional connection to that. That's why that will survive time, not just, you know, from my time as head coach, but it'll survive into the future because it has got that great connection emotionally, but also a history connection and a connection to the future. And, you know, that's our one was a bit more functional, but it also made it really clear that we were separate to the playing group. We Mm. are not the group we're not the most important our job even my job as a head coach was to support the athletes to be the very best that they could be so it was a a way of keeping particularly different you know professions within that you've got physio you've got a doctor you've got a performance analyst keeping our egos in check (laughs) yes we had be really, really good at our job, what we do. And we expected each of our staff members to be the very, very best in their field, but they had to be humble and listen to others in different areas of expertise and also, you know, keep those egos at the door, basically. To be a good team, Mm -hmm. again, it was part of us to apply our knowledge and understanding as a team of support staff to the very, very best of our ability um, in the benefit of the players that we were supporting. Mm, Yeah, definitely. And looking at leadership a bit more in action now, I suppose, I came across this phrase when I was researching for the episode, which I absolutely love, which is comfort zone versus courage zone. So playing it safe versus taking a risk. Knowing when to take a risk, I suppose, is critical for any leader or coach. And I feel like this is actually a real skill. So how 
how do you learn to be brave and, and have that courage of your convictions and self-belief to make those risky or courageous calls that others may disagree with, but you believe is best for the team? Well, I, again, I think it's a practice thing. I think it's something that you experience over time with the teams that you coach and you trial and error those things with those teams. And that's what I did. I just, and I also had, you know, some understanding of what would work and how I could apply um, ideas. And I think I saw coaching and coaching netball as a way of trialling those ideas of leadership and getting people to understand what their role was and how they went about it was, you know, it was always an exciting challenge. And I think I just tried to treat each and every team that I coached as a learning environment for me as well, Mm. so that I didn't know everything, but I was learning things from the teams that I was coaching as well. What was probably my darkest day as a coach was when I was, you know, I said it before, when I was allowing my ego to be, to sort of take over. And I had a half a season with my Gippsland local team that I was coaching and we'd lost every game. And I was starting to get worried about the win-loss record rather than getting better as a coach. And my captain at the time, who I taught at school as well, Zoe Miller, she came up to me, she said, what's wrong with you, Lisa? You're just not yourself. And I said, I'm just not enjoying it. And she said, well, we can tell that. And it's not enjoyable for us as well. So again, it was that, it was the courage of Zoe to give me that feedback. It was the fact that I had practiced that with teams that I'd coached with her in the past or as a captain myself. So that created an environment where I would be able to listen to somebody like Zoe who, you know, I really respect. And then, you know, I was able to turn that around in the second half of the year and just put my ego out the door and understand that I had to had to start enjoying what I was doing because, you know, losing is not much fun, but sometimes it's just in a function of the team you have and the opposition are just better. But how could I coach this team better in that second half of the year? And it was me being humble enough to understand that I had to learn and get better and take risks. That mm. That's the way you learn anything. You've got to have a go. It's like me at the moment trying to grow my raspberries. <laughs> I've got to have some courage and uh, get out there and prune them, I think. <laughs> I love that, though, but that, that idea that, you know, you don't just wake up one morning and suddenly you're a leader. Like it's it's all a continuous learning journey, whether it's for you as a player, whether it's for you as a coach, whether it's for you, you know, as a team manager or whatever. There is always that journey that you need to go on. It's it's not an instantaneous thing. I love that. I think that's great. Yeah, you never you never as good as good as everyone says, and you're never as bad as everyone says. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a it's a bit of a coaching sport saying, you know, if if the team wins, it's the players and if the team loses, it's the coach. <laughs> um, as long as you accept that with humility, then you can learn from it. Mm. That's the key for me and, and it's always been that way. Yeah. As soon as I worry too much about how things look rather than looking for what I can do to get better, then, I'm, then I stay in one spot and... I think I've always kept on, you know, as we know, change is inevitable and you just have to keep adapting and evolving. And that's what 
that was what was most challenging about with the diamonds was to get them to keep evolving and changing and adapting. And as the leader, you have to model that because mm. if you don't do it yourself, then how, how can you expect your athletes to do it? Yeah, I think especially as the rest of the netball world is evolving so quickly as well, that's, that's absolutely critical. I, I love- that's what I'm loving about watching England netball, you know, the way everyone's got on board with the Super League and the changes and, you know, it's exciting and I'm barracking for you. I want, I want it to be bigger <laughs> and better. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> Here's hoping we uh, retain our Com Games gold medal. Oh, no. I don't know about that, but <laughs> <laughs> we had to drop it in there. We, uh, we we never stopped bringing that up. To be honest, I'm afraid. I know. I saw the three year anniversary the other day, and I really felt like saying, "Do you guys have to keep rubbing this in?" <laughs> yes, 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 we do. <laughs> Even the I think um, Manchester Thunder put out when Helen Housby as a teenager won one of their finals. And I thought, golly, it's still going on. She's still <laughs> in my nightmares. We'll never let it go. <laughs> I want to I go back to that quote that you said around if a team wins, it's the players. If they lose, it's the coach. I think that really epitomises the harsh reality of high-performance sport. And we all know that high-performance is brutal. I think we, we saw this harsh reality when you parted ways with the Diamonds and it's something that you actually referenced in an article with The Australian, uh, with Eric George. You said, I was told that I had lost two finals and that was it. I suppose as a coach and as a leader, how difficult is it to go through that and to come out the other side to really show that strength and resilience and just you know, be forced to embrace the next chapter of your life? Oh, well, it's not easy. That's the short answer. <laughs> I, I guess in many respects, thankfully in some ways, I didn't didn't have too much uh, Australian team action last year because it might have been just too hard to handle and that's the, you know, God honest truth. Um, however, the, my intellectual side would say, I don't know why we couldn't have had a Constellation Cup at the end of the year last year and the Diamonds should be playing. Mm. Uh, but I understood why and, you know, I was really, really happy that they got their opportunity to play at the start of the year uh, because I'll always be, and you know, a diamond supporter and want the Australian team to do well. That's just me. That's the way I'm built. On the other side, it has been a great shock to not be involved at that high performance level. It's, you know, it's addictive. There's no other way to say it. It's you grow addicted to the highs and, and the lows and it becomes, you know, an important part of your life. It, it consumes you. On the other hand, I've been really happy to have the opportunity to have some time away from it, to be able to reflect and see the sort of person I'd become and, you know, that wasn't that great either. You know, for my family, not being around has been difficult at times. So to be home more and to be able to do the things that kind of are more normal um, has been good for me. It's, it's a bit like that humil- humility thing. It's, it's me learning some lessons about myself and uh, learning to appreciate just really the simple things in life too. It doesn't always have to be getting on planes and traveling everywhere and meeting lots of people and that's not what life's all about 
so that's what it, it's done. It's been, enabled me to have that time and to write, I write about my experiences, to talk about them. I've been on lots of podcasts talking about coaching <laughs> and and I've really enjoyed that. I've really enjoyed the opportunity to coach coaches as well. Really enjoyed that side of things of coach education and helping coaches to be better. Um, and really enjoying watching sport for the purest, for, for what it is, the purity of sport and enjoying getting out in my garden and growing things. That's, you know, that keeps you very, very humble and grounded. Mm. And you've spoken about that addiction to the high performance environment and, and that coaching environment. And you had obviously eight years coaching the Aussie Diamonds and countless more before then still coaching netball. And you've been quite open in the press about wanting to move into rugby. So what is it about rugby that appeals so much? You know, is it the lure of, of having a new challenge? Absolutely it is. And I think that I really believe that there's great transferability of skills between the sports. I think it's underrated how much I could add to any program. You know, I know I spent a day with Eddie Jones at English rugby and I absolutely love that watching what he does but also he always gets his pound of flesh as well as he says because I had to you know address his staff and talk about what the diamonds do and talking about our standards and our program and how we went about our high performance approach and so it was I guess being being part of a, a, a great learning environment that's what I think I was trying to talk about before with the high performance program is you're always experimenting really at how to be better and that's a very interesting challenging space to be in and so that's probably the most that's where I miss the opportunity to contribute to innovation and change and and making things um, better and improvement. Mm, Yeah Right then, Lisa, I'm aware that we've taken a lot of your time, so I'm going to ask you one final question. You've mentioned a bit of writing before. When can we expect a book from you and can we have a signed copy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can definitely have a signed copy. Um, (laughs) I think, uh, look, I'm probably in, uh, you know, it's it's everywhere. I probably need a really good editor to to help me with that. But um, hopefully in the next couple of years, definitely. I'm having a look at what other people are doing as well. I want to do something quite different. Mm. And so I don't want it just to be a coaching book. I want it to be something a bit bigger. So that's what I'm looking at. So we'll we'll grind it out one day, hopefully in about a year's time. You never know. Watch this space. I love it. I'm so excited to read it already. amazing Lisa thank you so so much for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure and to hear that level of detail and insight from you is is so inspirational so thank you so so much for coming on today thank you very much thank you so much for listening to episode 13 of quarter time we cannot wait to bring you more netball chat and another great guest next week Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at Quarter Time Pod for the latest netball updates. Get involved in the conversation online by tagging us in your three-word summaries of the games and let us know which players have stood out for you each week using the story template in our Instagram highlights. Enjoy the next round of matches and see you next week. Bye.